It is the least funny thing I have ever seen. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> is that the thesis of this whole show? Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that means to make a promise you can never break. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. I will take a lecture on national embarrassment from many people, but not from you, sir. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Please don't misgender me on this podcast. <laughs> All right. So we are here to recap The Crown, mm-hmm. season one, episode five, That's Smoke right. and Mirrors. And Ooh. we have a very special guest with us today. She is the co-host of the History Chicks podcast. Everybody, please welcome Beckett Graham. Hold for applause. <laughs> I do always, I introduce everybody like it's a stand-up show. <laughs> How are you, Beckett? I am fabulous. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. I love this show so much. <laughs> <laughs> the Crown or Up Yours Downstairs? Both. <gasps> Not Ooh. equally. Very, you. very diplomatic answer. <laughs> You have a future as a Tommy LaMustache in your future. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you are a big fan of The Crown. I am. And you have talked about a Queen Elizabeth on your podcast before. Is that right? I have. I talked about Queen Elizabeth the first, but we cannot cover anybody until they're dead. Ah, okay. We'll okay. be covering this Elizabeth soon. Were you getting <laughs> yeah. excited when Queen Elizabeth II was in the hospital over Christmas? No, I'm not. <laughs> are you? I mean, are we looking forward to Prince Charles? No, we are not. <laughs> I keep forgetting that he's gonna like be the king. Yeah, Charles the Third. I know. Oh my God. Well, what if he takes a different regnal name? Oh, I guess that's possible. Because as we've learned from the Crown, that's not necessarily a given. Yeah. I mean, no, but he's waited so long now with this current name. Wouldn't it be super weird? Now he's in his what, sixties, seventies? I mean, everybody hates him. Like he could stand to have a Don Draper rebrand, honestly. Like that time when they put horse meat in the dog food, and they were like, "Just change your name." Gross. Yeah, uh, that was the public's reaction to the dog food. So, well, right. No, he's he's sick of this. He's just gonna be like, "Man, I'm I'm king. Fuck you, the first. Like, <laughs> You know, did you know um, Camilla got the HRH title? She did get the HRH title. I saw that. And in light of this episode, that's very interesting. Although, I guess at that point, though, like, I feel like Elizabeth was like, you know, my mom, is her mom dead? Her mom has to be dead. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, My mom's dead. Is Margaret dead? I think Margaret is also dead. Everybody, look, everybody who's telling Elizabeth what for in this show is now dead. And she was like, you know, it didn't really work out uh, with my uncle and Wallace Simpson on a variety of levels. Camilla, at least, isn't a Nazi sympathizer. There's that. So let's just let's just get her on HRH because they're just going to bitch about it forever if we don't. And Camilla's living like right there. So it's not like it's not like she's off in Paris, like she's you know showing up at tea every day, saying I want to be an HRH daddy. Oh my god, I love that show too. I want to open the yes. I was like, I was like, I hope she thinks I'm talking about Willy Wonka. I'm like, is there another? Sh- is there a Veruca Salt spinoff? Because I am here for it. Yeah, that'd be favorite character. Yeah. No, that'd be like they start doing this whole Star Wars universe thing where it's just a spinoff of all the individual characters. I'd watch a whole Roald Dahl universe uh, suite of of intellectual properties. 
Uh, there's people trying to make that happen, I think. Yeah, but I feel like his estate's going to be real intransigent about that stuff. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I could talk about licensing issues forever, but let's not. <laughs> and let's talk about The Crown. So we open on May 11th, 1937, and we see a foot tapping. Whose foot? We don't know yet. <laughs> Baby Liz is back, and she walks down a hallway. There's a knock at the door, and Baby Liz has come to see King Lane Price. Uh, he is smoking, of course, oh. and uh, practicing for his coronation. And he says he needs someone to play the archbishop and asks if she will do him the honor. And they kind of stumble through the ceremony, uh, she because she is not great at reading, and he because his stutter is so much more pronounced. And I really have to, like, doff my cap to uh, Jared Harris on this portrait because it's like Colin Firth already did this mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it as discussed. <laughs> right. But like that's got to be in... I st- I haven't seen the King's speech. Okay, so this is how bad this is. I replace his face, this guy, with Colin Firth's face <gasps> as everyone does with the first two Dumbledores, you know? Uh-huh. Everyone replaces that guy's face with the later guy's face. I cannot see anybody but Colin Kirk. That's fascinating. Yeah. As we talk. Then I think I'm glad I haven't seen the King's speech yet because I really want to like appreciate this performance. But his so he's he's stuttering right. and like you like there's just really great degrees of him dealing with this disability throughout this performance. And I'm just so glad he's still here in episode five. Yeah. Because when he died in episode two, I was real sad. <laughs> do you uh, like the little girl? I do like the little girl. She's her accent is crazy. Like I mean it's it's even more whatever the term is than a than a Claire Foy. Posh. Yeah. Like I, I like when she says holy. Yes. yes. You have a good one, Kelly. You should do it. Anoint thy hands with holy oil. <laughs> Her O's are so round. Yeah. It's great. I, I really enjoy it. I don't care if it's good or accurate. I love this kid. <laughs> She's the little yeah. orphan Annie of this uh, TV show. I love her. Her name is Verity. What? How have I never thought of the name Verity as a child's name? <laughs> and I like I hate naming girls like Faith or Hope or Charity. And that's mostly related to my obsession with passions. Um, I don't know. The, the, the soap opera passions that had a living doll and the witch Tabitha, who was played by Haley Mills' sister. Oh, man. You know, Natasha Muse, who was just on, she and I were going to do a passions podcast at one point. We never got around to it, but maybe we will now. Maybe. Anyway, so uh, King Lane Price... Uh, explains to baby Liz that uh, I forget what the word was that she had to ex- have explained to her, but oh, he tells inviolably. her, Oh, inviolably, inviolably, inviolably in man, me and the archbishop of Canterbury both cannot <laughs> get over this word. Inviolably. <laughs> uh, I don't even have a stutter. Yeah, I know. I might. Th- I don't know. I've been like, I've been like lately, like every once in a while, like I'll get caught on a word, like a broken record. And I'm like, maybe I do have a stutter. Um, You're such a hypochondriac. I am a hypochondriac. Don't mock me. It'll just set off a new wave of hypochondria. Uh, So inviolably means to make a promise you can never break. And uh, then Tommy the Mustache comes in for the king. Uh, but he won't go until he, he explains and practices the anointing with Liz, and it's very cute. Yeah. 
It is. And that's sort of something I've noticed about this show. I feel like the first scene of every episode, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I like this show. And then by the end of the episode, I'm like, nothing happened. Why am I watching this? <laughs> I, you know, I know it's ponderous, but these are not dynamic people. Yeah. They're not. And I mean, I think, and I think it comes out, I keep meaning to look up, like, does Peter Morgan have opinions on the monarchy? I feel like he can't have any publicly or he wouldn't get to do all of this that he does. But particularly later in this episode when Churchill's talking to uh, Liz, you know, he's like, you know, what is what does the monarchy mean to you? And I was like, is that the thesis of this whole show? <laughs> Peter Morgan, are you playing a deeper game? Yeah, very good. Um, so, yeah, so we see a guy pulling out the crown, the titular crown, uh, to give to King Lane Price. And... Uh, He's, he says that it's heavy, uh, and it's uh, five pounds, not to mention the symbolic weight, but I think mainly the five pounds is what he was talking about. <laughs> I puts the crown on, and he says that it's a sight that he hoped he would never see. Okay, real talk. This crown is straight up ridiculous looking. <laughs> like, this does not inspire me or presumably anybody to be like, oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> like, let's put him in charge of stuff. Yeah, well... You know, even worse, uh, long ago when that crown was built, this is one thing I know about it. They used to rent the jewels to put them back in every time. There didn't used to be jewels that, like, stayed with that crown until, like, Grandpa got crowned. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is... That is so tacky. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, I guess it's like I feel like this crown is tacky. This crown is so tacky that even the CW production designer would, like, take a pass. <laughs> They'd be like, you know what? Rain is kind of a classy show... We don't need this crown, okay? <laughs> Let's get something sleek and streamlined. Sometimes real things look less real than the fake things, you know? No, and that yeah. was that was what I came away from this with. I was like, man, I like fictional crowns so much better than actual crowns. And I think that extends also to the vested uh, power of the monarchy. Yeah. No, there. I, I drew better looking crowns in my fourth grade notebook. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Were you drawing a lot of crowns back then? Well, more swords, but I think I threw some crowns in. Yeah. You're such a boy. <laughs> so we then cut to the present where grown-up Liz is putting the crown on. Same crown. Uh, and she's actually basically wearing the same cardigan she wore as a baby. So uh, she has, uh, uh, to your point, Beckett, not dynamic people. She's like, yes. She found her early. She found it early. She kept her style. Yeah. I'd like 14 in the same color. <laughs> Uh, so she looks very serious and uncomfortable as she takes a few steps toward Charles and Anne who are standing in front of this mirror and she's, you know, flashing back to her dad. And I really wish we had seen them together more, Claire Foy and Jared Harris. I just feel like they, I love that relationship. And I know the point of the show is like, oh, isn't it tragic? The one person who could have helped her is gone. And I'm like, monarchy is stupid. <laughs> um, anyway. So she she says it's it's not as easy as it looks, and the old crown guy who's still alive, presumably because he did not smoke, and doesn't appear to have aged at all either. I thought he looked like he had aged a smidge. Maybe all right. Uh, you know, he went on that uh, graham cracker diet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he says her father said the same thing, and she asks if she can borrow the crown for a few days, and the crown guy goes, "Borrow it from who?" <laughs> Credits! <laughs> Isn't that imposter syndrome? Have you ever it is. Well, and I mean, honestly, that is what I have gotten out of this show. 
Like, coming out of the year that I've had, I'm like, you know, even if I was a queen, I would still not know what the hell was going on. <laughs> I wouldn't feel good about myself. Like, I would still have all the same problems. And it just kind of takes me back to, like, when I was in high school and learning, like, the point of tragedy was, like, to, you know, tell the lesson of hubris and be like, even kings can fall victim. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, kings, they're just like us. <laughs> Uh, so we cut to a lady vacuuming Buckingham Palace. I do love that kind of detail. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm into. Um, much like in the Royal We. <laughs> Beckett's also a Royal We fan. Oh, nice. I am. Yep. We're, all, we're coming out of the woodwork. We have to come up with a good, uh, a good nickname for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we'll fix this. You know, we'll do this <laughs> offline. Weevils? I don't know. Mm, did you say weevils? <laughs> I did. I don't know what I was trying to say. Royal weevils? <laughs> I really want to write to the Fug Girls. They're like really responsive on email and be like, hey! <laughs> but they're like, oh, that crazy woman wrote to us again from Oakland. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, I love this, this like slice of life details of just like, oh, somebody lives here and like people have to clean it. Yeah. Uh, but so Liz is practicing walking in the crown with Charles and Anne, and she's like, ooh, I'm going to surprise Mountbatten. But he uh, went off without telling her to go flying again. So. I don't like him. I think that this is such a bummer. They were so, like, even the little kids were like, they're so excited to show daddy. When you have a small child, your life is 25% getting excited to go show the other parent something <laughs> that the parent you're with is ex- like their brains are tired. That's like the highest level of entertainment that they can muster for you. And like these kids, you know, these kids are like they're stuck in a really weird situation. I yeah. mean, they're British aristocrats to begin with, and then their mom's the queen. They don't have time for a lot of family togetherness. So, uh, bad form, Prince Philip. I think you should be a more present person. Yeah, I think I think they could all use a family therapist, but I doubt that that is going to happen. <laughs> There's no precedent. <laughs> right. So then we cut to Liz dressing for an event, and uh, Mountbatten is planning to get his pilot's license in two weeks. So he's back. He's back and also dressing. Uh, he's, he's going to break the record for any British person to get their aviator's license. And, uh, then she says, oh, well, you'll hate me. And I was just like, you are such a dweeb. (laughs) But she wants his help with something. Uh, she wants his help with the coronation. And, uh, they have, this is a great scene where they're arguing. So I didn't like recap it in detail, but Mm -hmm. he says that she wants to matronize him. And I am pro-matronizing. I think every (laughs) husband should be matronized so you understand how garbage it has been to be a woman for so long. Um, I had just never heard the the term before. I had neither, and I was like, oh. I was like... I looked it up, and I said, is this a real word? He really looked it up, and it was, and I was like a little deflated. (laughs) Mountbatten is like the Beck of this show. He's just (laughs) making up words. Yeah. Well, I mean, we already had Snagaholic. Yeah. Automatic bazooty. <laughs> we say that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Futurama. <laughs> um, anyway, so she says that she just wants them to spend time together because he's always off flying or going out to lunch with strange men. <laughs> Which I love. I'm like, you know, just because you don't know them. Although if they're friends with Mountbatten, odds are they're strange. 
so he says that be, that redecorating made him feel like a sissy in a way that was very homophobic, I yeah. felt, for the time period. Which is oh. saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I just, like, you were fine with it, like, when it was happening. This is all, like, so retroactively, yeah, like... Yeah, he loved doing it. Mm-hmm. He loved being a snagaholic. <laughs> And he even said, he even said during that time, this is the only home he'd ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's like preparing his own first house. So he was happy then, and now he's just being a dirtbag. Typical man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, and he says, you know, I do like that he uses queening as a verb, but then he makes it homophobic again, and he's like, oh, it was queening of another sort. And I was like, get out of here. You just wait till Elton John is born, sir. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Cause it seemed to me you lived your life like a snagaholic man. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so in the car, Liz is uh, wearing her tiara, a very tasteful, attractive tiara, like. Ugh, crowns, man. It should all be tiaras. Like, I think crowns look stupid on men, too. You guys should just get, like, a bejeweled, like, baseball cap or something. (laughs) That would look way better. I'm sorry. Bedazzled. Yeah. The first monarch ever to receive their coronation cap and wear it backwards. (laughs) King Fred Durst. (laughs) So uh, Mountbatten asks what his job would entail, and Liz says that the Duke of Norfolk would run the show, but Mountbatten would be an inspirational chairman. Uh, And he points out, rather correctly, that nobody's going to listen to him because everybody hates him, which is fair. I hate it when people I hate are (laughs) self-aware. He is prickly, isn't he? He's in a weird position, but, like, why does she want him to help? That's what I want to know. Like, why does she want him to help? Yeah, I mean, because it's not like if he had been bugging her to, to, to help, that would be one thing. But he was off happy doing his flying thing. Well, I think she has said in the past that his, you know, strength and, like, manliness are part of what attracted her to him. But she has no idea how to help him, like, preserve that. In, in the power imbalance within this relationship, um, you know, she never knew Queen Victoria. So, you know, there's no there's no role model for her and like how to navigate this. Yeah. But, you know, also, I just think it's a case where, you know, in the 50s, people would get married and they didn't know how to communicate their wants and needs. Yeah. And I just think they they don't have a good communication. I mean, clearly, they're very sexually attracted to each other. But they're like, we don't, we don't know how to do anything else. This is, okay, very confusing. Yeah. And we can't talk about it with anybody. So. <laughs> so then they are inside watching a pantomime, and Mountbatten demands total control of the coronation, or he will not help at all. Um, which, again, I have to respect his negotiating skills. Like, this is a really good ask. Yeah. And so the pantomime is like there's a, a ballerina doing the dance of the Sugar Flum Fairy and also like a guy with a ladder who's like wandering around. I wasn't following. The crowd loves it. The crowd loves it. And it, was, it, it is the least funny thing I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. You've been to a lot of comedy open mics. Um, so she's like, OK, fine. You can have total control. But don't go mad. And I'm, he's clearly going to go mad. Yeah. Like, why else would this be even an interesting episode? Just like, right. oh, everything went without a hitch. 
Uh, that brings us to our recurring segment, Fashion Backwards, with our very own pantomime pundit, Kelly. Thank you, Tom. And I actually, credit where credit is due, Beckett, I had no idea what I was going to do for Fashion Backwards until you were like, is Tom going to do pantomime for Tom Repeats History? And I was like, no, but I will do it. <laughs> Awesome. And also worth mentioning, there's no Tom Repeats history today because Tom could not find enough cohesive history inspired by this episode. Yeah, it just it just didn't come together. It's been a hard week. It's been a hard week. <laughs> this is only week two of this president. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. We won't. We won't. We won't talk about it. Um, okay, so Beckett has a friend who has gone to see pantomime in Britain. Uh, because she has a friend who actually performs pantomime. Oh. So it's typically a Christmas thing. I didn't feel like this was taking place at Christmas time. Yeah. I don't know. I have no I idea. I guess I could have looked up the date of the coronation. Yeah, but it's also, it's also you have no idea, because there was a year of preparation, and you have no idea where they're at in that. So That's true. It's a good point. Yeah. I'm sure I could go back and you know map it out according to Philip's uh, aviation training, but... <laughs> Who has the time? I just I just picture you now with like a board on your wall and like index cards and arrows pointing. Well, at and I mean, it was just December for the Great Fog. Oh right, that's true. Um, which was not just the previous episode, though, right? I, no, they all run together. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so pantomime, uh, although it has roots in ancient Greece, uh, primarily comes from the Italian commedia dell'arte tradition, which is you know a lot of very goofy like slapstick essentially you've got a lot of like old dudes trying to bang young ladies you've got you know the young lovers who are called the inamorata and then you have the um like the servant class and that's where we get uh harlequin and the other one that i will remember as i get to it in this article um but i found actually there's a really great article um from what i'm assuming is like York University. Yeah, University of York has a really great history of pantomime, which is where I'm pulling most of this. Uh, so thank you, Professor Jane Moody, for <laughs> doing my work for me. So uh, I do love this line that they pull out of this article that pantomime has become quintessentially British, as British as Earl Grey tea or a good Indian curry. Uh, completely without irony. Colonialism <laughs> is a lie. Right? Wow. Well, and, I mean, that's what we keep coming back to. And with this show in particular, it's like, man, like even today they're like, oh, dosh, show would be nice if we still had all those colonies, Walt. <laughs> they could probably have this one back, huh? Right. <laughs> but at this point, we're like, please. Although Theresa May isn't really, I'm not. I'm not sure that would be yeah. great at this point. Um, yeah. How about Canada? Yeah. Oh, Justin Trudeau so handsome. But that's still part of Great Britain, so we would technically be going back. We'd be like a a sub colony. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. The servants are called the Zani. My apologies. That oh. was you know, and that's you know, like Zany comes from the same root. Oh. Um, Pulcinella is the one that I'm thinking of because it's like Punch and Judy, so right. it predates that. Um, so yeah, so it's basically, and also if you are familiar with a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, um, that is a very Commedia del Art esque uh, plotline because you have the servants who are like, we know better than all the rich people, ho ho ho, and the rich people in the audience are like, that is silly, but we will pay <laughs> money to see it. So, pantomime comes from Commedia dell'arte, which was primarily like street theater. 
So you had all of these artists uh, throughout Italy and also France who would come to Britain and perform, you know, sort of what was the precursor to pantomime. Uh, and then Britons were like, hey, we don't like it when all these foreigners are coming over and taking our theater jobs. So uh, they, they got into the, into the act, basically. Um, pantomime really got its start in Britain thanks to a man named John Rich, a rough, uneducated man. <laughs> in the uh, 1720s, he was managing a theater at Lincoln's Inn Fields. And so he combined a storyline from Ovid's Metamorphosis. I'm just not having a good pronunciation day, everybody. Uh, the podcaster speech. Somebody get Jeffrey Rush in here. So it combined a storyline from Ovid's Metamorphoses and a Harlequinade. So a Harlequinade was sort of like, uh, you know, a goofy, like, rhyming couplet kind of thing at the beginning. Um, you know, and sometimes there would be, like, chases. There would be, like, poetry or, like, sort of, like, transformations um, on stage, like you know, you know, the Oscars, and they have like uh, interpretive dancers, and it's like, oh, they're a rocket ship from Hidden Figures. Oh, they're a rapist from Manchester by the Sea. Um, I assume is that what that movie's about? Uh, uh, according to this professor, Professor Booty, uh, Harlequinades were tremendous fun to watch. I'm going to take her word for it, as this was 200, 300 years ago. Um, so they would also. Uh, use a lot of animals on stage even though they say now never work with children or animals they did not know that back then Um, and there's a lot of cross-dressing in pantomime there's a lot of young women who are playing the primary male lead there are the uh, elderly aunts sort of like the Lady Bracknell type roles Mm -hmm. and those are always played by a man in drag Um, so there's a lot of a lot of gender tomfoolery happening (laughs) in the pantomime and uh, in uh, Commedia dell'arte, uh, the Harlequin character was called Arlecchino. Um, but Arlecchino would speak a lot and kind of narrate the, the, the uh, action. And in Britain, the Harlequin did not speak. So what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love this story. This is maybe my favorite thing that I learned about the history of pantomime. Um, David Garrick, who some people, who nerds may have heard about... <laughs> Uh, he was an 18th century actor and manager, and he would join in with there were all these sort of, uh, you know, hand wringing critics who were like, oh, you know, pantomimes are devaluing the noble institution of theater, and why would anybody go see Shakespeare if they could just go see people farting in a pantomime? Uh, <laughs> Good but, question. Well, and it's one that people still ask today. <laughs> um, but David Garrick, you know, he he was critical about it, but then he eventually was like, oh, but money. <laughs> and he said, you know, if they won't come to hear, if they won't come to Lear and Hamlet, I must give them Harlequin. And I just had a conversation about this uh, with my friend Britt Frazier, who is playing Hedda Gabler in San Francisco at the Cutting Ball Theater. If you are here, you should go see it. Uh, this was recorded on February 4th, 2017. <laughs> so if you're going to be here later, uh, or if you're hearing this years in the future, I'm sure that is closed. Um, but she said the, the version of Hedda Gabler she's in is like 90 minutes, and they trimmed a lot of it. Mm. And, you know, when I was in theater school, that was always a thing. They're like, oh, why don't people want to sit for three hours? And it's like, you know, people's attention spans have changed. The way we consume media has changed. And you can either whine and lose money hand over fist, or you can adapt and make really dynamic, interesting art. Mm. So that's 
I'm a I'm an artistic uh, descriptivist, not a prescriptivist. <laughs> if anybody was asking. So anyway, um, he basically was like, "Okay, I'll give you pantomime, but I'll only give it to you at Christmas at the Drury Lane." So he was like, "Okay, pantomime is okay, like one time a year, though." Okay, so like, don't be gross. Um, so, and that was the beginning of pantomimes really becoming associated with the holiday season. Whoop-dee-doo. Um, so at the end of the 18th century, uh, the quote unquote modern clown really took off. And that was thanks to an actor named Joseph Grimaldi. And he invented some of pantomimes most famous gags, the butter slide. When a character suddenly steps, slips on the doorstep, like not necessarily, Butter oriented, but uh, okay, and also sausages which suddenly come to life. What? I uh, again, I have never been to a pantomime. Uh, that is that is not a gag that I think of. But I guess this dude was like the fatty Arbuckle of eighteenth century theater. Well, it's interesting too because sausages are also a key plot point in Punch and Judy shows. Hmm. So. God, the Brits love their sausages. They do. See, I would say, you know, as English as Earl Grey tea or sausages, not a good Indian curry. Because a good Indian curry can only be got in India. It's it's right in the name. It's right in the name. <laughs> so, uh, basically, the clown changes and it's it's not quite so uh, loudish. Loutish, not mm-hmm. loudish. I'm sure it's still very loud. <laughs> um, but so this is where we start seeing clowns with you know white face and red cheeks and the the frilly collar and the baggy trousers. And uh, this was in actually, I guess the, the the Napoleonic Wars was when this clown got to be very popular. So was that ever in uh, my favorite book, Jonathan Strange <laughs> and Mister Norrell? I don't believe it was. <laughs> So he was one of the most famous people in Regency London, and uh, Lord Byron gave him a snuff box. Charles Dickens did him a favor and compiled his biography, which, as you learn more about him, would have been very depressing, because although he was one of the great satirists of the time, he was real clinically depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me try to find this quote. Uh, He died early, you know, because he was sad. Uh, oh, he says, uh, I am grim all day, but I make you laugh at night. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. Too bad they didn't have antidepressants. That reminds me of Robin Williams. Yeah. I mean, really, most comedians are real sad. <laughs> like, anytime I tell people that I do stand-up comedy, they're like, oh, that must be fun. And I'm like, I'm dead inside. <laughs> the only way that I can do anything is to make other people laugh. Um... Oh, and he he suffered paralyzing periods of hereditary madness. I really like the phrase hereditary madness. (laughs) It sounds a lot cooler than, like, (laughs) depression and anxiety. Um, So then we go into the Victorian age, and uh, a guy named Dan Leno was the guy who created the uh, the the dame, is what they call her in pantomime. So the, the man playing the woman. Mm-hmm. And I just like that there was a comedian named Leno in <laughs> the Victorian age. Um, so, I mean, basically, he, you know, he kind of, like, played it straight a bit. Like, 
you know, it was like mothers who were dealing with, you know, poverty, unemployment and abandonment. So there's like some pathos behind it. It's not just entirely played for laughs at this point. So, uh, you know, the, the audience and the character kind of know that there's a joke going on here. Like they're, they're playing it straight in some ways, but in other ways, like everybody knows that the main boy is a woman and the main dame is played by a man. Mm -hmm. So it creates this whole little, you know, irony that everybody's just like dying with laughter about. I know. (laughs) Um, so the other thing about pantomime is that there's a lot of audience participation, and Becky, you can speak a little bit to this because uh, you had your chat with your friend. But it's like you know things like the the dame will say something like, "Oh, I'm the prettiest woman in all the kingdom," and then the audience will yell, "Oh no, you're not!" And then she'll yell back, "Oh yes, I am!" And then they will yell back, "Oh no, you're not!" And I'm like, "This seems <laughs> this is weird." Compared it to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's a really good comparison. Oh, sorry. Everyone shows up, and you kind of know what's going to happen, and you're so excited for that part where you throw stuff. (laughs) Yeah, oh, man. It just, it really seems like it's a crazy time. Like, I definitely, you know, someday we should really take that trip to uh, Great Britain at Christmas that we've been teasing. This is a great year to do it, Yeah. uh, given the decline of the Republic. (laughs) Uh but, uh, you know, and people take their kids, and your friend was saying that she's friends with somebody who performs in them. So, uh, yeah, that's that's pantomime. So if you are one of our British listeners and you have been to a pantomime, we want to hear your story. Yeah, for sure. I think they've all been. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, it seems... Ironic thing, or do you go unironically? She goes, no, we seriously, like, go have drinks before, and then we go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know... I mean, you know, we all go see the Nutcracker every Christmas. That was for what some I was reason. just about to say. Yeah. Except I didn't this year because it's like I can only do it like every three years because that <laughs> stuff is so boring. <laughs> you know that song came on the Sugar Plum Fairy theme from the Nutcracker, and my mind because I've been um, watching Bunheads. Aha! Uh-huh, yeah. And that's the intro theme. Is that song? Oh, I didn't know that. Colliding. What is happening? <laughs> you know, reevaluate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I associate it with. Well, and I initially I assumed that they were seeing the Nutcracker, but then I was like, "What's this guy with the ladder doing in here?" Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's uh, fashion backwards for the day. I hope you found it pantomime hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Mountbatten's not the only one who can make up words. <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, we see this is kind of a weird scene to me. So a journalist is interviewing <laughs> Dio Dubs. Duke the Duke of, of Windsor is yes. Dio Dubs. And, uh, and Wallace. Uh, and she calls Wallace your highness, and Wallace corrects her that she's just a duchess. And, um, yeah. And, uh, like, did this journalist not do any prep work? Like, all through it. And also just seems like she just looks, like, uncomfortable and out of place the whole time. I'm like, who, who are you? I think there's two things at play here. I think, one, we've got a British actress doing an American accent she's not comfortable with. (laughs) Definitely. And, like, it's a little clumsily... I agree, it's clumsily handled because I feel like... It sounds like D.O. Dubs did, you know, the deal with this magazine. And it's like, this is where you're like, hey... Like, either, like, it's unclear to me. It's like, oh, did they deliberately want this to come out to, like, shame the royal family? Or did they just not think about it? I don't know. Yeah, well, because he does all these, like, product endorsements, essentially. 
And everybody involved seems unhappy, and there's all these, you know, sort of, it's like a montage of him, them getting their pictures taken and things like that. He's not wrong about the well-milled soap, though. (laughs) (laughs) But I almost, he is trying to do this for money. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I think in his mind, he thought his popularity was going to stick. Left. And it, I mean, all the quality people, oh, he's got riffraff and Euro trash, et cetera, still (laughs) around him. But like, all the real people have peace out it. They're gone. Mm -hmm. So he's the second class kind of lifestyle. And I think he's really not adjusting very well. And I mean, it's been what? So it was 1937 to 1953 now? It's been like 25 years. No, it's like. He's 16 or 17 because okay. he says it in the episode. Oh, right. Listen, yeah. as we all know, I'm not good at mental math. <laughs> not because I'm a woman. Because okay. maybe I have dyscalculia. <laughs> I'm just racking up hypochondriac points today. Yeah, you're doing great. So then um, they take the journalist to a room that Wallace is like, ooh, this is his secret room. Like, nobody gets to go in here. I'm like, I bet you tell all the journalists that. <laughs> Uh, so it's his like royal memorabilia room. Um, his bagpipes are in there. Apparently, he plays that when he's feeling homesick. And uh, he still has his king box. They let him keep the king box, which I think is kind of douchey. <laughs> um, he probably stole it. Yeah, he probably did. He, he was, was like, "Ooh, I'm going to show this to Hitler." Um, and they were like, "From now on, when a king abdicates, we're going to have somebody from security escort them out." <laughs> Um, so she asks why in any of the pictures that he has, he has a lot of pictures of himself while he was the king, why he was never photographed with the crown. The crown, take a shot, everybody. (laughs) And, uh, he says, uh, he never had a coronation. He looks all wistful. Yeah. Which, I mean, I knew, A, because I knew, but also there was a Jeopardy category called Uncrowned English Monarchs this past week. Uh, they never... Did you sweep it? Uh, I forget. I think I did. I was just hoping they would mention Lady Jane Grey, and nobody ever does, so... Um, well, um... Oh, they used, uh, Elizabeth's father's coronation date. So not only did he not have a coronation, he never had, like, the date, his brother just used up that same date since they were in the middle of... Oh, wow. Right, and I I had seen that, which was, kind of changes the context of the, the, um earlier thing when Winston's like, oh, your father found the long... Mm-hmm. Like, comparing the length between yeah. the session and coronation, when they didn't do that, you know, it, they didn't do that intentionally with her father, but anyway. Uh, so, they were already in the middle of prep. They were halfway done. Yeah, and they were like, well, I mean, honestly, like, they, you know, it's not like the king does anything, so just plug... One king is as good as the other. <laughs> That's right. Basically. So that night, uh, Dio Dobbs is smoking in bed with no shirt. Uh, uh, well, keep going. I have I yeah. have editorial comments about this scene. <laughs> so he says he uh, had a call from Mary of Tech's doctor, and she is in her final days, and that he and his sister should make their way over. Who is his sister? We never even meet her. We don't meet her. Princess Mary. Thank you. Okay. Boy, they have—they are not good at choosing original names in this family. <laughs> Originality is not their forte. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and he says so. Wallace asks if she can come or you know bring us up that subject, and he's like, mm, better not. And uh, yeah, he hopes that his mother dies because he doesn't want to have to go over twice. 
<laughs> so much. Yeah. Hated that. Oh, that was like so needlessly cruel. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just whines about London and oh, it's so terrible, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then they share a cigarette and he says, shall we fuck? And then she smiles. This is so gross. And like, I'm like, I can't decide if it's like, I'm like, am I being a jerk and feeling like old people just shouldn't have sex or say the word fuck? But I think it doesn't help that it's these two specific people who are so reptilian. And it's like, I, I don't like him. I'm, I don't like either of them, but I feel like, cause you know, when she's like, oh, can I go? I feel like so much of her not going over is him not wanting things to be awkward. But then when he's there, he's acting like, you know, it's this whole big, cause it's like, she could just go. Like she maybe can't attend all these state functions, but it's like, she can hang out in the hotel, have room service. Like, yeah. Like she could have a really good time, but they see, could, a, see a pantomime. Yeah. They could take their stupid pugs. And, but it's just like, he's like, he's playing both sides here where he's like, oh, you can't go. But then he's like, oh, why can't she go? I just, I hate this guy. (laughs) I hate him. And I think he's gross. And I don't like them having sex. I know that's like the point that they (laughs) left England specifically to have sex all the time. But it's gross. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, can't breathe. That's fine. <laughs> so then a bunch of cars pull up and uh, an equerry announces a bunch of people. Uh, and Liz announces to a bunch of old dudes that Mountbatten will chair the coronation committee. And Tony the Mustache is like, nah, dude, nah. Uh, running the coronations with the Norfolks too. Well, and he says this thing about he's like, the Duke of Norfolk will expect it. He crowned your father. His father crowned your grandfather. This will be the 16th Duke of Norfolk to crown, to, to crown the monarch, or to, to chair this committee. And I'm like, well, he's already the 16th if he did this for her father. Uh-huh. So your math doesn't add up, buddy. Yeah. Well, and I'm like, you know, just because it's the way we've always done it is not a great reason to do anything. Uh, really. I, I don't believe Tommy LaMustache agrees with that sentiment <laughs> at all. Uh, I know. I realize that old-timey people didn't know stuff, but honestly, like... We don't have time to get into the Constitution. Anyway, so Liz is like, no, I like really want this. And the Queen Mom is like, oh, you know, he could arrange the photographer. And I'm like, you are like very much missing the point here, Queen Mom. Um, I feel like that could be the alternate title of this show. The Queen Mom misses the point. So... She still hates him, you know. Oh, yeah. She clearly despises. Nobody liked him. (laughs) Like, I mean, King Lane Price didn't really like him. Like, he knew that he made Liz happy. But, I mean, I think if we've seen anything, like, that that talking to he tried to give him that Wolferton splash did not take at all. Because he was like, you know, she's the job. And now, ever since he died, Mountbatten's just like, me. I'm a whiny baby. Uh... So Liz is like, no, he's going to be the chairman. I'm going to go now because I'm the queen. You have to do what I say. This is the, I'm like, man, like I always thought like growing up, I'm like, yeah, man, being the queen would be dope. Everybody has to do what you say, but they don't apparently. <laughs> so this is horrible. It's like, what's the point of, you know, I, you know, we're not in the age of absolute monarchy anymore, but I'm like, man, like if you're going to be a monarch, absolute or get the fuck out. <laughs> Total control or nothing at all. See? Yeah. 
in case anybody wants me to be queen. <laughs> these these are my terms. <laughs> so after she's gone, the queen mom and Tommy La Mustache agree that they're going to undermine Liz. And Tommy La Mustache says that the Archbishop of Canterbury will help him out with the Duke of Windsor. And the queen mom tells him to be firm because the Dio dubs is like mercury that will slip through the tiniest crack. Which is a great line, even as I'm very angry at these two mm-hmm. for being jerks to Liz. Um, and, you know, the queen is like, oh, just do what you always do, Tommy. Exactly as I say. And I'm like, this is this is also a creepy relationship between old people. I don't like this either. <laughs> so we see Dio Dubs doing a press availability. Uh, and he says that, you know, thankfully my mother has been made great progress over the last few days, which... He, I don't know that he has any basis for that at it all. It seems like, I mean, I think that's just sort of like standard royal protocol. Like, until they're actually dead, be like, oh, they're doing great. Yeah, they're running laps. <laughs> uh, yeah, but in fact, what she is doing is uh, lying in bed with him. They're both smoking. He like, This is what passes for like a tender mother-son <laughs> moment in this relationship. Right. And uh, we get voiceover of him writing home and complaining about his family and everything like he always does. Uh, and his uh, Mary of Tech tells him not to go. He says he won't. She says good. Um, as he is writing, as he is voiceovering that he hates her. So this is a great dynamic here. Uh, and Wait, Faith seems so different to his mom. He's nice to her face. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I guess is all you really need. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, as, as long as she never reads the letters that he writes, she'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, a butler tells him that he has a meeting with the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he's like, oh, yeah, he can come over. He's like, no, you have a meeting at his place at the time he specified. Deal with it. No, and I just... This episode is so weird because it's like it humanizes the Dio dubs, but it also makes me hate him even more. It's like, okay, dude, you are clearly still just butthurt. That your entire family, whose entire identity is wrapped up in the monarchy, don't accept that you aren't into that, you know? And it's like, you know, because it's like I relate in the sense that, like, I rejected a lot of things from my family. And, you know, I will occasionally complain about them. But generally speaking, I'm not like, oh, I hate them. I hope they die. Like, we all have our moments, Maybe just me. But, uh, you know, he he's it's like he's just protesting too much. And he's just really piling on how much he hates them just because he can't confront and work through how hurt he is by the circumstances of his life. Which, again, I would remind him, he chose. Yeah. And it's like he, you know, he and Wallace keep telling themselves this story about, oh, you know, our love was so epic and it was worth all of this. And I'm like, I am not sure that it was. And I'm not sure that it was even two-sided. I would bet money that she was not in the same kind of love that he was. Yeah, I mean, honestly, after how many, uh, she had three marriages before him, right? I think think it was three marriages. Yeah, yeah. two. Might be two. Might just be two. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think, you know, we can all kind of agree that Wallace Simpson was an opportunist. But it's like, I don't even know what, you know, what does she get out of being with the deposed king of England? Like, what? I thought it was going to, they thought it was going to be that they would just lose the responsibility and keep the glamour. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But unfortunately, yes, they lost the responsibility. And then everyone else's common sense kicked in. And it's like, we cannot have two courts in the same country. Yeah. You cannot live here. Yeah. You cannot be here. You cannot have your friends here. And everyone's got to pick sides. And so, who are you going to pick? Yeah. Not, are you going to pick the king that's literally on the premises? <laughs> yeah. I.e. where you live? Yes. Or, or are you going to pick the guy that got booted out of the country? Mm-hmm. You know? And so he lost all his prestige, and they did not count on that. I think Wallace Simpson was counting on... That's true, because she was... I mean, she was a climber, and I'm saying that without... You know, if you want to be a social climber, like, that's a particular kind of work, and I don't have any disrespect for it. Although, as I always say, you can sleep your way to middle management, but anything else is on your own recognizance. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, That may have been less true. In the 50s, when Possibly. women had more limited opportunities. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't, ugh. it just doesn't seem worth it to me because he's so miserable all the time, whether he's there or whether he is where he is. Because mm-hmm. even when he's with her, he's constantly complaining about his family. When he's not with her, he's idealizing and he's like, oh, you know, our perfect life together. And I'm like, well, number one, you have pugs. <laughs> not I, not perfect. If you wanted a perfect life, you would have dachshunds. Uh, you're Nazi sympathizers. Get a dachshund. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I do think this show does a great job of portraying them, mm-hmm. but they're infuriating to spend time with. Yeah. So he arrives at Lambeth Palace, the uh, seat or home or whatever, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, he goes in. It's the Archbishop and Tommy oh. LaMustache and some random guy. And they're all uh, at asking him not to attend the coronation. Um, and it's just all very, very British about like, oh, you know, wouldn't be you know, just indirect and passive aggressive mm-hmm. like they do. Uh, and he, he is like, oh, this is all Cookie's fault, isn't it? This is also not a good look on him because as soon as he's threatened in these situations... And I mean, maybe we're not seeing the early years where he was like actually practicing diplomacy and like... You know, trying to find an equitable solution. Mm -hmm. But the fact... He's like a toddler. Yeah. He just immediately starts with the name calling. And I'm like, how do you think this is helping your cause? Yeah. He insists that he and Wallace will attend. And they're like, uh, hell no. We have to invite you, but she is not coming. Period. Uh, And he calls it... uh, Diodub says that it's... uh, He uses the word pusillanimity. Which is impressive. It's hard to hard to work in. It is. Well, you know, he's got nothing but time on his hands, so he's yeah. just like, what awful words can I work into my dissatisfaction? <laughs> yeah. And then Tommy LaMustache compares him abdicating the throne to the Battle of the Somme, which... Uh, that's, that's a little bit of an overstatement. Yeah. For real. No, I hated this scene because I was feeling, I was like feeling myself to be on the Duke of Windsor's side. And that was really frustrating. I don't like that. I didn't feel on his side at all in this scene. Really? Um, Well, I I think I watch the show one more time than you Mm -hmm. since I do the the written recap for these. But so this time, the third time when I was writing this out, I was like, "Uh, you know, fuck this guy. Like, I think the first time I felt slightly more sympathy for him. But Mm -hmm. this time I was just like, you know what? I hate agreeing with Tommy LaMustache almost as much as I hate agreeing (laughs) with uh, Mountbatten. But I was like, you know... It did cause a lot of problems, not some level problems. That that's a bit much. Um, but you know, he I waffle. I go back and forth because with some, you know, 
in some ways I'm like, well, it was 17 years ago. But yeah. I, I had, I'm like, you know, you ruined a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Like, as individuals. Like, not even thinking about the country. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, that's where the Queen Mum is coming from. Right. Is that she's like, he killed my husband. Mm-hmm. Which, you know... Right. Also right. a bit melodramatic, but I mean, he probably would have lived a bit longer yeah. if not for the added strain. Well, and I came out this scene from a different perspective because I'm having a tro- uh, troublesome situation with upper management at work. And so I like reveled in this, like, these guys get to be a complete asshole, mm-hmm. my French, <laughs> to this guy. And if he had still been the king, they would have had to button their face. But oh, how freeing it is. Just tell him what you really think. Yeah. And I was like, Guys, living the dream. Yeah, I loved it. Well, fair enough. Um, So yeah, uh, the the Duke of Windsor uh, stands up and he says he won't attend the coronation, which is exactly what they wanted. Uh, And he also uh, quotes a poem that he wrote about the Archbishop, which is like weird. That's a weird thing to have written the poem. It's a weird thing to have it committed to memory. And it's a weird thing to quote it right now. He is a bizarre person. It's like, nobody, number one, nobody ever wants to hear a poem that you wrote, okay? <laughs> like, I don't care who you are. Like, die first. <laughs> have been a good poet. Then we'll quote your poetry. But, like, anytime anybody's like, oh, I wrote a poem. No. End of conversation. Get out of my house. So the Archbishop storms out, and uh, the Duke of Windsor is like, okay, here's how we can spin this. Like, uh, Well, it's like, because no reigning monarchs are allowed to attend the coronation, can we say that no former monarchs can attend the coronation to make it look a little bit less insulting to him? Right. Uh, but then the Archbishop rushes back in. There's sort of some weird shots on that, that it took me a second to track what was going on. But he uh, announces that Mary of Tech has died. Well, good news for Dio Dubs at last. Yeah. Um, and in case you were wondering, I don't think they mention it, but she specifically said in her will, don't let my death throw off the coronation. Okay. So. I think that's solid. Yeah. So we cut to a shot of dead Mary of Tech <laughs> uh, and another Dio Dubs voiceover. And uh, Mary of Tech died all drugged up and like hemorrhaging, which sounds... I guess kind of a wash. Yeah. She was on, like, morphine, which is a good time, I hear. <laughs> um, so Dio Dubs whines more about her icy cold blood, and the family gather around her, and then they cut to them choosing, like, which possessions of hers they want. And uh, Dio Dubs says he told Sherry Temple what he might like, <laughs> but since I won't be here when the vultures descend. And I'm like, dude, like, you choose fruit, you live with fruit. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he doesn't expect that he'll get what he wants since he won't be there, and he longs for their perfect life together, and he says that he's tired of talking about his family, and I do not believe that for a second. (laughs) He loves this. This is all he ever does. It is so, like, Wallace Simpson must be bored out of her goddamn mind, because this is all he ever wants to talk about. And it's like, okay, look, like, get a hobby that maybe isn't the bagpipes. Get a proper French hobby. Become an alcoholic. (laughs) Start a vineyard. (laughs) Yeah, become an alcoholic. (laughs) So we cut to Mary of Tech's funeral, um, and they're saying that the reigns of Queen Victoria and George V lived on with her. Fair enough. Uh, But 
Mountbatten says that the funeral is identical to King Lane Price's funeral. Like, they just didn't bother to write a new one, which is, that's, that's... That's how funerals work. I mean, that's how all... Oh, do you think it's tacky? I thought he was saying that, like, not just the, the funeral, but, like, the actual, like, the eulogy. Oh, well, I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I guess he's also just saying about the ritual because he's going to make the coronation more modern. All I could think about when he was saying how modern it was going to be is when uh, Radiohead released The King of Limps. And was it Liam or Noel Gallagher? I can't tell. Whichever Gallagher was feeling more belligerent was like, why can't it at least be a modern tree? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Instead of some ancient tree. And I was like, yeah, make it a modern tree, Prince Philip. (laughs) Yeah, but so we see where the conflict is going to be that we saw from the beginning of the episode about the uh, the coronation. It's going to be a disco coronation. <laughs> stay in the queen. Stay in the queen. Ah, 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 ah. Stay in the queen. So, uh, yeah, and Liz is just kind of annoyed with him. And, uh, then, well, he is talking through her beloved grandmother's funeral. Yeah. Like, I can about understand. Him, yeah, about like, himself. And his it's complaints. so rude. Like... This, oh my god this is like this would be like if during your father's funeral i was like hey listen i think i'm gonna get the car clean <laughs> and then what would you think if we switched up the wi-fi like it's just oh it's gross yeah she's mourning <laughs> uh so then uh at home we see mountbatten like muttering to himself and like having an idea and then he writes it's like i'm like wait i didn't need i didn't need this scene to know that he was thinking thoughts there yeah and there's some some a uh, glass of liquor prominently like in foregrounded in the shot like up oh, time to get drunk plan a coronation <laughs> so his one friend whose name i've already forgotten that i think looks like that guy uh in the great escape <laughs> sure. uh, he shows up and uh he tells them that they should go wherever it is that they're going. So they pull up and they attend a group of stuffy Etonians and make awful puns about them. So I think it's cabinet that they're they're meeting with. Well, I think it's the coronation yeah. committee. Anyway. Is, I don't know. So um, all of the olds are, are there and Mountbatten tries to flatter them, but they're very grumpy. They're not <laughs> having his, his young person's flash. And uh, so he wants them to upend precedent and make the coronation more egalitarian and more technological. And they are all like, harumph! (laughs) Red leather, yellow leather. (laughs) So we cut to Westminster Abbey, which is being outfitted with television cameras. Uh, And (laughs) this guy says, it's an unconscionable vulgarization. And I'm like, I am going to say that about everything now. (laughs) Um, And... But Mountbatten insists that it'll be filmed respectfully without any of the zoom lenses that the guy seems so frightened of. <laughs> I thought he was thinking he wanted zoom lenses so that the cameras wouldn't be too close to Liz. Mm, I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So they, everybody's mad and he, he makes some more suggestions and old people are harumphing some more. Then the main old from the gaggle of olds... Uh, is complaining to Winston Churchill that the Queen surely can't approve of these radical <laughs> ideas. She is just trying to keep her marriage bed peaceful, which I, I just like, I enjoy that. <laughs> He's like, she's just trying to, you know, she's just trying to get laid, <laughs> so she's letting this guy mess around with her coronation, which is kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> 
so uh, we see Churchill. He's starting to leave his weekly Queen conference, uh, but then he sits down. Which... Only after he did the formal like kissing of her hand, which mm-hmm. I'm like, what would Queen Victoria say? <laughs> we are not amused. <laughs> uh, and he sits down, and she's like, "Oh, I told him not to go mad." <laughs> but uh, but he did go mad. He did mad as a hatter. <laughs> mad as a hatter with a TV camera. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, Churchill, giant Winston Churchill is like, you know, wearily doing his thing. He's, he really lithgows it up in this scene. Uh, but well, and like the way that he feels about all of this precedent getting upended is exactly how my parents think they feel about Vatican II in the Catholic <laughs> Church. And I'm like, you guys don't really want the Mass in Latin. Like, I know that you're just parroting what your parents told you, but like, come on, it's not fun. Yeah. Latin sucks. <laughs> English rules. I wish we had seen the other changes that he'd proposed. Like, the TV thing is what takes over, and I wish we'd seen more of, like, obviously the not kneeling thing. Would- yeah, so we really only get two of the changes, so. Yeah, yeah agreed. I, I thought, yeah, it's actually in retrospect, I just sort of, like, I felt like I had seen more changes than I actually did. But, yeah, it was just the two things. Yeah. Um, and well, I, think, actually- I think they shortened the ceremony. Okay. And they actually were going to be televising. He just had them. They were going to cut off earlier in the ceremony. And uh, it was his decision to, like, do more of that, apparently. I think they televised just the procession of her father. Like, they didn't go in the... Mm-hmm. Okay. They didn't go in. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, he's like, what is the purpose of the crown? What is the purpose of the monarchy? Good question. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and so Liz asks him what he thinks, but he says that it is her decision to make, and Liz looks troubled. She is not good at such things. But I'm terrible at thinking. <laughs> That's why I have Philip. <laughs> so then we see Liz walking with Tommy the Mustache into the Abbey, and Tommy the Mustache fetches up Mountbatten, who looks real smug. Yeah. The smuggest yet, possibly. <laughs> so he talks to Liz, and she says, I told you not to overstep the mark. And Mountbatten forces me to agree with him yet again uh, when he points out that being out of touch is a real great way for a monarch to get killed. And he drops some some very specific details that, you know, he had to be smuggled out of Greece in an orange crate. His father was nearly killed. His grandfather was actually killed. And uh, Liz says that he doesn't understand the British people. And I'm like, I think you don't remember Oliver Cromwell. (laughs) Um, But then he just very, like, casually is like, oh, well, bleating to me when your your head and our children's head are on spikes. And Liz is like disturbingly not phased by that. <laughs> She's just like, this seems like something he brings up every time they have a disagreement. Like it no longer has any like sting. She's like, oh, don't go bringing up spikes again. Russian um, revolution is living memory. Yeah. Yeah. But she seems to think that the British people are not quite the uh, the upstarts that the uh, Russians were. So yeah. um, she says that she doesn't see how letting people see the coronation when they are on rations will lift them up. Uh, but Mountbatten says that it will democratize the coronation and make them feel part of it, which is, I mean, it's yeah. a very good marketing spin, which is yeah. like, hey, you may be on rations, but uh, shiny. Yeah. See, it's just saying your life is tough, but don't worry. The country is in good shape. We're all together. We're, do- we're doing fine. So. It's like continuing to burn coal when there's a horrible smog. <laughs> right. 
So he wants to know who told her. Oh, I'm sorry. I uh, she eventually is like, okay, fine, whatever. We'll televise the thing. But her condition is that he has to kneel in front of her, and he is so unhappy about this that he walks away and asks who told her. Uh, it was the prime minister. It's his. <laughs> it's his job to make sure kids don't drown. Uh, he says that if he kneels in front of her, it will be unmanning him. And they have a really great argument that I did not like. It's very heated. Yeah. This is the most conflict that we've seen between them um because she's basically like yeah you knew i was gonna be the queen bruh yeah and he's like but i am married to my wife and she's like well your wife is the queen suck it up and you're gonna have to kneel and he is like super hurt and i have to give it to matt smith on the mugging in this scene because his face is great when she's like no I'm not going to budge on this. He looks like somebody killed several puppies <laughs> and then kicked him in the shins. Yeah. No, and it was – and that moment for her too where it's just – he like puts it to her and there's just this pause where she's like, I, I can't – like it's not like she's considering it. She knows she's going to say no. Yeah. She but, just can't believe that he's not on board with it. Yeah. He also at some time in this scene, it, it, just because I wrote it down, he says the word amoeba and he says amoeba – which I always – that's a particular British thing that I always – The the additional R yeah. on the end, yeah. yeah. I read a thing where when he said amoeba, what he really meant was – how shall I say this? That he is nothing but a sperm donor. Oh. oh. I mean, he is. He has fulfilled yeah. that purpose. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's so weird because it's like – and I mean, I think this is semi-common in some of these type things, but it's like – all these British aristocrats spend all their lives chasing proximity to the crown and and favor with the crown. And then when they get it, it's like, yeah, it's actually nothing. Like, there's no there there. And I'm certainly willing to believe that Philip was kind of manipulated into this in a way by his uncle. But he's strong-willed enough for him. Like, you didn't... You know, you weren't just railroaded into this. This is something that you apparently wanted. But now you aren't willing to take, you know, the 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 hit, basically. Yeah. And uh, I find that very frustrating. <laughs> like the dog at the racetrack that's caught the fake rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't run those dogs again because they've realized it's all a sham. Oh. <laughs> Poor puppies. Yes, this story about dog racing was not heartwarming. <laughs> uh, so we see a guy holding a mirror as Diodub's dresses. Um, that seems a little extravagant. Like, they're always like, oh, it's hot enough to make ends meet. I'm like, why don't you go through your budget and maybe eliminate things like guy who holds my mirror in full military regalia? <laughs> Incidentally, Tom, you should really stop having that happen. <laughs> You're fired! <laughs> Sorry, Francois. <laughs> um, yeah, so they are, they're having a coronation party at his place, which, what a, what a weird social event that would be, huh? Like, I just feel like everybody who got invited was like, oh, you know he's just going to be weird the <laughs> whole time. Ugh. Yeah. Expatriated Americans and Euro trash. <laughs> what a time. So we see the TV production staff doing their best sports night impression, <laughs> and everyone in France, in, I mean, everyone in France at the, the D.O. Dubs' estate, right. I'm sure everyone in France was watching, though. A fair percentage. Um, 
Geodubs points out Lord Mountbatten, the man who gave away India, and we all laugh and laugh and laugh about colonialism. <laughs> uh, a hymn kicks in, and Geodubs is like singing along and makes everybody else sing with him. And I'm like, this is like the worst party ever. This is like when somebody like invites you over to like watch the tape of their like bad community theater production, and they like keep telling you things, and you're like, I don't even want to be here in the first place. <laughs> Did you get any feeling though when this was going on? Like when he started singing the hymn, I got I felt something kind of shift in me a little bit. Like oh crap! Like it's kind of um, raw. It's emotional to him. Mm-hmm. him. He's aching a little bit for like oh no. I am not happy to admit how emotionally affected I was by his reactions to the coronation. Like it's very painful to watch because. Oh, and, you know, and, and we'll get to, like, the final scene, which I think is the most yeah. but, affecting, but... Yeah, well, because he, cause he'll, like, try to play it off. He says that thing about how the royal coach is so uncomfortable, um, but he can't, he can't keep it up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he wants to keep the ironic detachment, but, you know, this was supposed to be his life. He thought it was going to be his life, and he made this choice. Well, and he just, you know, I think it would be so much better for him if he could just... Instead of feeling like he has to be committed 100% all the time and being like, oh, marrying Wallace Simpson was a great choice and I'm perfectly happy with everything about it, just being like, you know, I could have gone a different way in my life and it's too late to go back. Right. Like he just, you know, he needs he needs therapy. <laughs> he needs some therapy around, you know, post-traumatic monarch system yeah. uh, syndrome. <laughs> but also system. Like, he's standing right by the TV. He, like, hovers over the TV. Well, and, like, the TV screen is so small, too. And, like, yeah. all these people are watching. Like, they can't, they can't possibly. But maybe they all had better eyesight because they weren't on their phones all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we see a TV announcer announcing things. And there's a, uh, a golden canopy to shield the queen from view during the anointing. Um, I'm not clear whose view she's being shielded from. Um, my understanding is really like everybody's, like okay. including in the like that that yeah. But the tradition. canopy wasn't long. It was, I mean, people could see her. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, it's symbolic. It's all freaking symbolic. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, and so apparently uh, I'm looking at my recap now and how <laughs> I felt at the time. I was not into him getting emotional about this. It made me angry mm-hmm. at the time. Um, I don't. This is a character who makes me feel so many things, and I cannot classify them, and I'm very put out by it, because I enjoy making pronouncements and then sticking with them. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we see uh, Liz wearing her, you know, coronation gown. It is not cute. (laughs) This would definitely get the backy if we were doing the Abbey Awards. I'm like, this dress, it looks like crepe paper. Yeah. It is not flattering. (laughs) Which one you were talking about? There's like a, there's a dress, and then she had to put on a little like linen overdress because of the goods, you know. Like you didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about the the original, like the the regular dress, the part the part that you can see of like the 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 bodice. It's like a V neck, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so the the archbishop goes through the oath and kind of stumbles a little bit. Um, Which is a callback to the opening scene when she was playing the Archbishop. So she prompts him and says, inviably. Right. Hey, I can say it in her accent. (laughs) I'm going to talk like the Queen from now on. What a delight this will be. (laughs) 
Um, and everybody's wearing their ridiculous outfits. These outfits, <laughs> these outfits look like in Beauty and the Beast when uh, that like barber thing is doing the Beast's hair before they sing Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> and it's like got all these like bows and like braids and stuff. Like so many bows, yeah. so many bows on everybody's outfits. I'm like, I can't believe the monarchy has lasted this long. <laughs> you guys need to modernize. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so he anoints her and gets, like, weird about having to anoint her breast, which is like, what, are, are you 12? Come on, buddy. He might be. <laughs> he has that disease that Robin Williams had in Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, and it's, that's, the coronation is happening, and it's not super riveting. Yeah, like, people were real hard up for entertainment in those days. <laughs> like, there's not even really that much commentary. I'm just like, this is extremely boring. Yeah, like Did you uh, watch the wedding. The recent one? Hey. No, I didn't. I don't like to be up late apparently. <laughs> Although when I was watching this there was there's something on Netflix called The Royals that like goes kind of through that and it was like showing me like footage of it. I was like, "Oh, that was cute." <laughs> did I'm assuming did you watch the wedding? Oh, I got up special and I went downtown to Union Station and they had it on the big screen. Oh, nice. There's like IMAX theater. They yeah. had it projected on the big screen, and everybody had champagne and caviar, <gasps> and it was like six in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. And then they had um, Princess Diana's wedding dress down here. Oh. At the museum at Union Station. And so you got to watch the wedding, and then you went down and saw, and all her dresses were there, Diana's. Yeah. yeah. But it was really a good day, I thought. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, like, I'll watch Charles's coronation when it happens, but, like, I'll be able to, like, live-tweet it and things. Like, I won't just be sitting there watching it. Yeah, that's true. No, and I just realized when you said it was at 6 a.m., that's why I didn't do it, because it was 3 a.m. here when they got married. Yeah, so I'm like, nah, nah, not doing it. Yeah. So we get more Duke of Windsor narration. I wish he would die. I was so angry. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, he's sort of explaining all of the things that are happening, and one of the guests says that this is insane, that this whole process is insane. And he says, no, it's perfectly sane because who wants transparency when you can have magic? Um, you know, and he calls her, you know, w- without all of this pomp and circumstance, uh, Liz is only an ordinary young woman of modest ability and little imagination. And I'm like, that is a very accurate description of her. Yeah. Fair. Um, but you know, you, you stick an orb in her hand and a, and a crown and a scepter and all of a sudden, whoa, yeah, she's a, she's a goddess. Yeah. They also, the choir busted out Zadok, the King, or Zadok, Zadok the priest, rather, which I had never heard of. I had also never heard of, but they they say that, don't they? In the uh, in the the priests, I'm like making this hand motion. The anointing part, like he says, like you know, uh, as like Zadok anointed David, or like something like that. Right, and it's actually that was written by Handel and for the coronation of one of the Georges, whichever it would have been, and it's the only hymn that they've used in every coronation since. Huh. And it's got such a silly name. <laughs> Zadok. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Liz gets her crown, uh, and then everybody puts on a like everybody gets a crown. Like, what's the? This seems like it's really all the peers and peeresses right after the monarchy's crowned um, raise their hands at the same time and put their crowns, their coronets, on at the same time. All the dukes and earls and viscounts, <laughs> lemmings. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool though, like. I bet it looks cool to see it all happen at the same time. I mean, it looked cool, you know, like, you know, anytime anything is synchronized, I'm like, yeah, good job. Yeah. That's hard. (laughs) 
Yeah, and many of and many of you are hereditary idiots. So. <laughs> yes, our level of synchronization was important. <laughs> um, yep, everybody chants "God save the Queen." Uh, Dia Dubs is watching, and and some party goer says that the Duke of Windsor turned down the chance to be a god, and he says, "Ah, I turned it down for something greater still, for love." He and Wallace Simpson make me hate love. I'm like, you know what? Maybe love is not a good idea. Maybe we have all been wrong all these years. Maybe love is just messing everything up. Because they are insufferable. Yeah. I wanted him to say, I turned it down for something greater. Full pussy. (laughs) So then uh, we get to Mountbatten leaning, leaning, (laughs) kneeling before Liz. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good job. Sure. And she barely looks at him. Like, it's super awkward. And he gives an oath to her. Continues to be awkward. Which includes pledging to defend her or whatever against all manner of folks. Which I just thought that was a weird phrase. Uh, Rich folks, poor folks, uh, folks from other countries. (laughs) Sure. I kept thinking that was folks, but I get they right because I went back and... Yeah, they said folks. Yeah. Uh, You know, people really... uh, You know, I'm sure the language is very dated on this. (laughs) Because uh, I'm sure that language is from when their primary foes were uh, inside the country. Mm-hmm. So so he stands and kisses her cheek. And then we see views of Liz walking out uh, on the TV. She's got just dozens of people carrying the train of her cape and just all kinds of stuff going on <laughs> beside her. And uh, we cut to Dio Dubs drinking alone in his king room. Yeah. And then we cut to him playing bag, bagpipes outside, so we know he's homesick. And he Wallace is watching him from the window, and now he's, like, crying, like, while playing his bagpipes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, don't make me feel things for him, please. But it's very sad. Yeah. Because it's, it's just, like, he's he's basically living in limbo for the rest of his life, and he can't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it... Yeah. We, we all found ourselves sympathizing... With this jerk. The royal we? <laughs> sure. <laughs> All of us weevils? <laughs> Thought I forgot about weevils. I didn't. No, clearly not. <laughs> so that was episode five. Yeah. Um, halfway yeah. through. Halfway through. We're almost there. Yeah, I'm glad we got past the coronation. I was kind of tired of hearing everybody argue about it, <laughs> to be honest. I assume they'll find some other ridiculous stuff to argue about. <laughs> oh, they will. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched a bit ahead, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, Beckett, do you have any, any thoughts on the show in general? We're not, we're trying to keep it spoiler-free past this, but just sort of generally what do you like, what do you not like, or, uh, whatever you want to share. My favorite part of every episode that has them is the flashbacks. I have this total love for the, you know, I don't remember what you call him, Papa. King Lane Price, but yeah. King Lane Price, yes. I, I have particularly love, uh, he is such a good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Haven't seen anything else. I guess what am I missing? Uh, he was in Mad Men. I mean, he hasn't been around. I mean, I think he's been around, yeah. but not in the state so much. Yeah, but Mad Men was. So I, I love them. Simple. I want more of them. Um, and I actually liked the production. I know it's kind of like ridiculous, but I loved the production of the intercut between the real and the TV footage. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, and I liked having. Well, he was kind of liked. He was kind of like tweeting. He was standing there. I guess that's true. Maybe yeah. we just hate in him what we recognize in ourselves. 
So I kind of um, I kind of liked that, and um, you know, going from real to a different place to when I'm watching it on the TV. Those are my two favorite aspects of this, mm-hmm. and the emotional way that I was able to, even though I know about him and I don't like him, I still feel very bad for um, David. What's it, you know, King Edward? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I am one thing I'm really fascinated with about this show is that there is no villain. Like, there are people that I like or don't like, and that's based on my own capriciousness, but, like, Peter Morgan and whoever the directors are, I mean, even, you know, even with the Duke of Windsor, even with, um... Mountbatten. Mountbatten. Like, there's, there's... It's just about the different conflicts, and it's, like, it's nobody's fault, which I think, again, kind of supports the idea that Peter Morgan is sort of gently nudging people toward the idea of... Maybe this isn't super necessary, and I think if you go back to the Queen, that's more pronounced yeah. because you have, uh, you know, Tony Blair being like, "Hey, um, people care about you for some reason, and we're gonna go with that." But like, you should like think about this. Um, and I don't know, like, I don't know, like, what are your what are your feelings on the monarchy, Beckett? Are you pro, anti? Do you have a strong opinion? I, well, not being British, none of my tax dollars are going to support anybody. Right. I like them freely with no, um, you know, pocketbook, mm-hmm. you know, problems. So I like the pageantry of it. I like the tradition of it, uh, as I don't have to pay for it. Um, I got up at six in the morning. Right, 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 right. <laughs> oh, I asked that question knowing pretty well what the answer was going to be. <laughs> so, yes, I, I really like it, but really functionally function the queens and kings used to have have really been taken over by the prime minister. I mean, she can still pardon people. Technically, she can still veto bills. She can knight people. <laughs> yeah, well, she can... Nobody's she, vetoed since the 1700s. Yeah, yeah, she has She has the right to veto bills as long as she never exercises that right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, it's so... Yeah, and looking at it from, like, this this perspective, and I mean, I feel like, you know... There's definitely some some value to sort of having them, you know, like having like seeing the work that like Will and Kate do as sort of like ambassadors to other countries. I'm like, okay, that seems positive. Um, it's just it it just keeps striking me as so odd because yeah. it's like, and I think the thing that really got me um, was a couple episodes ago when Liz was talking to the Duke of Windsor and saying, "Oh, you never apologized to me," and the tremendous toll that it would just take on a person to grow up knowing that you're in this highly visible position, which ultimately doesn't have any value. I mean, you know, there's a reason we've kept saying that all these people need therapy. So, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not like, you know, I mean, we just don't have an equivalent in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you look at like uh, you know, Sasha and Malia or Baron Trump, it's like, you know, their their whole lives aren't building to this. Right. Because A, it's not guaranteed, and B, you know, until your parent becomes head of state, you've got relative anonymity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that we have the same rabid curiosity about the children of presidents as we do about the children of royals. I mean, there's obviously interest. Right. But it's just not the same. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, and it's just, it's not for life. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for uh, guesting with us, Beckett. Where can people find the History Chicks? 
Well, uh, we we are found at the History Chicks on iTunes, of course, or the HistoryChicks.com for all my show notes. And then, honestly, um, you know, so originally, every social media is just the History Chicks. Yes. <laughs> Originality and branding is overrated, so I think you've made the right choice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, yep. great. Well, thanks so much. We'll be back uh, next week with episode six. Mm-hmm. So until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out.